What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and not alongside me this week is Adam Kowal, and we are Atlanta Zone, two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta professional sports, wacky-ass hijinks, and analysis. Uh, Adam is out of town this week, so I am flying solo. It's Graham's solo show. Uh, how was your holiday? It's a good, that suck, a little bit of both, like most things in life. I don't know. You tell me, how are you doing? Because over here, I would say I'm doing, you know, personally doing well. The holiday was a nice uh, respite from the chaos of modern life. However, it was not a respite from the chaos of being a Falcons fan. Uh, Once again, this team just knows better than anyone in sports how to disappoint you. Falcons lose 37-17 to to Chicago on Sunday in a game they really needed to have. And... um, it hurts for many reasons. One, we, I mean, we've, if you listen to this show, we've talked to death about how bad and underachieving this Falcons team is and uh, how they can't win when they really need to win. I mean, they, they lose to, uh, at the time, a 1-12 Carolina Panthers team, 9-7 to on the road. Then when they're virtually out of the playoff picture, they absolutely wallop a team that is challenging for the playoffs, uh, still alive for the postseason. Technically, the Falcons are too, but much more alive, I would say than uh, the Falcons in uh, the Indianapolis Colts would beat them 29 to 10. We didn't have a show last week, but uh, it was just so odd watching that, that Falcons team play the way they did. Um, everything was pretty efficient. Bijan Robinson had a monster day. Um, the weapons were utilized the way they should, they should have been all year. Um, and it took, you know, the Falcons to the point of where they were almost out of the playoffs. to finally get their shit together, you know, fucking like 15 games into the season. So, uh, or 16, whatever it is, whatever it was. And then fast forward to uh, Sunday, and you know you really needed the Saints to beat the Bucks to have any chance of staying alive in the playoff picture. They held up their end of the bargain, surprisingly. The Buccaneers have been playing great football. I think they're on a four- or five-game win streak. They were playing at home. Uh, Saints were reeling a little bit from a uh, Thursday night loss to the L.A. Rams the week prior. But they came in there and kicked their ass, and then we got our asses kicked in Chicago. Like I said, 37-17. But somehow, the Falcons are still alive in the uh, playoff picture. And it's not because they're fighting to survive or doing anything great. No, they're, they're, they're staying alive just by happenstance, just by existing, just by being in the worst division, maybe in the history of the National Football League. So at 7-9, and nine, all right, 7-9. and nine, The Falcons have a chance to get in the playoffs if, one, they beat the New Orleans Saints, and two, uh, the Carolina Panthers beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Both of which I would say is unlikely. The Falcons, since Matt Ryan departed, have only won three road games in two years. Three road games, two this year, one last year. They can't win on the road. They're they're just a horrible team on the road. And, you know... Carolina looks dead in the water. They lost 26 to nothing in Jacksonville. Maybe they get up for this game. Maybe they pull something out of their ass. I don't, you know, don't hold your breath. Look, we all know that Arthur Blank's going to have a decision to make on the fate of Arthur Smith come the end of the season, regardless of if uh, the Falcons somehow win on Sunday, regardless of if they even get in the playoffs. I mean, I think that would probably save his job, to be honest with you. But let's just say the realistic thing happens, right? The Falcons have a 15% chance to get into the playoffs as of right now. 
heading into the final week of the season. 1-5, 15%. And it's out of their hands. Yes, they have to win. Yes, that's in their control. But they also have to rely on the worst team in the NFL to pull off an- another upset. And I just don't think that's going to happen. So with you know one of the easiest schedules in the history of the league against one of the worst divisions in the history of the league, I just don't see any way you can bring Arthur Smith back given the results of the season, how he pushed all his chips in the middle, all his chips in the middle on Desmond Ritter. For whatever reason, a third-round project, you know, he tied the fate of his job to, which just goes to show how single-minded he is. And that mindset has infected this franchise, unfortunately. And you just look at Desmond Ritter's path to the Falcons, right? He's, He's drafted in the third round. He sits behind Mariota. Um, the Falcons had no chance of doing anything last year. So instead of getting Desmond Ritter some work, they wait until the last four weeks of the season until they're quote unquote out of it. They were never in it. It was just, it was, it was stupid to begin with. It was kind of like drafting all those skill position players, um, you know, with their top 10 pick three years in a row. It's just, it's just dumb, right? If you, if you think that this guy's a chance to be your franchise quarterback, and the chances were, were, were slim, but if you think he, he does, you got to get him out there sooner. And if you can't get him out there sooner, then you failed as, as someone who develops young talent. And speaking of developing young talent, right, so you put him behind the eight ball by not throwing him in there until the last four games of the year. And I think, honestly, he performed admirably at that point, showed improvement week after week. It looked like he couldn't throw a football against the Saints. And by the end of the, the season, you know, he was, he was dropping dimes. He wasn't turning the ball over. Then you have a full off season to prepare. You let him know which is probably another mistake. You let him know that he's going to be the starting quarterback no matter what. You sign Heineke, and you say, Heineke's your backup. And then you don't play him in the preseason. He played like two or three series or something, if that. Don't give him any work in the, in the preseason, really. And even in the preseason, you saw the things that were become huge uh, warning signs, right? It was, it was like a it was big-time foreshadowing. You, you saw him staring down receivers. You saw he wasn't stepping up in the pocket. You saw he had this long-ass wind-up. took him so long to get rid of the football, and all these things came to a head. And then Arthur Smith just kept doubling down. He kept having Desmond Ritter throw you know, way more than he needed to. If you look at it this year, there were six games where he had at least 30 pass attempts. He should maybe have one. Or two, if we're like really getting our asses kicked. Uh, I just don't understand. Like this guy was supposed to be just you know easing him in, game manager. We had like the third best rushing attack in the league last year. It's like nope, let's let him just throw the ball a bunch. You know what happened? Interception after interception after interception. He threw another one last week when he came in in relief of uh, Heineke after he got hurt. And you're gonna say, hey, this guy's gonna figure it out after he just bungled, like I said, one of the easiest schedules ever. When he has a, a, a great rushing attack. When he has a defense actually played well this year, I think they definitely overachieved, but they played well. And we're going to give this guy another chance next year. I just, I just don't see. I don't see what argument you can present to say that Arthur Smith deserves a fourth year as head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. And this was also supposed to be a guy that has an extremely proficient offensive acumen, right? One of the best play callers in the National Football League. Well, guess what? He comes here in a year where everything's supposed to come together after drafting. A tight end is supposed to be the best thing since sliced bread. A wide receiver and a running back. Your first-round picks, top 10 first-round picks in three consecutive years. The best you can do is score 19 points a game, good for 26th in the NFL. The 26th worst offense in terms of scoring points. Good job, genius.
get out of my city. You know, the long and short of it is, is, is what happens if Arthur Blank decides to bring back Arthur Smith, as he's saying that the performance this year wasn't bad enough to get him fired and that he believes he can turn it around. That's what he's saying. And that, to me, as a fan, as someone who's emotionally and financially you know, invested in this team, is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. There was hope this year. There was a lot of hope this year after a lot of apathy. After five pretty bad seasons of football, there's a lot of hope this year that there is light at the end of the tunnel. But that light is so far away, I can't even see it at this point. And you can blame Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot. They deserve a lot of blame. But you, you also got to blame the man upstairs. Mr. Falcon for life, Arthur Blank, got us into cap hell. Arthur Blank pursues Deshaun Watson. Arthur Blank hires the wrong people. Arthur Blank hires a coach before he hires a GM after he got rid of Quinn and Dimitrov. It's just decision after decision after decision this franchise makes just feels like it's always the wrong one, especially within the last, like, six years or so. It's a sad state of affairs, man. It's, it's, it's hard to watch them, man. It's like, you know, Adam and I were watching the game on Sunday, and we also had the, uh, the Ravens-Dolphins game on at the same time. And every time you, you looked over at that game, and uh, I think Adam pointed this out, he's like, man, when the Ravens or Dolphins throw it deep, it's like, you know, there's people are open. You know, it's like they're, they're, they drew up some play where they got a mismatch and they got their player open. It's like when we throw the ball deep, it's always like you got to thread a needle or Drake London's got to, you know, jump two receivers to or jump two uh, cornerbacks in order to save an interception. It's like it's such a fucking struggle, man. Uh, and, you know, the NFL is like one of the hardest games in the world. But it's just like when some teams like, you know, the, the, the Ravens, the Dolphins, San Francisco, Dallas make it look so easy to scheme and to get players open. But it's just it's, in, it's just increasingly frustrating to watch this team play. Um, and just you just feel like this is an incomplete roster. It didn't have to be this way. It really didn't. Even with all the cap shit, it's just like draft after draft after draft. You're building your team around skill position players. It's just not going to end well. No one does this except the Falcons. Like, think about what the Ravens did this year. They they went out and, you know, they, they kept Lamar Jackson and they said, okay, what's been Lamar's biggest problem? You know, this team, we already had a really good defense. Um, you know, what should we do with our first-round pick? They went out and got Zay Flowers, who's had an outstanding year at wide receiver. And he's, and he's changed that offense. He's changed the offense. He's given Lamar Jackson a true weapon in the receiver position, which he didn't have. That's when you go get a receiver in the first round. Is when you, you got to take, you, know, you just need one more guy to fill a hole to take you to the next level. It's not a foundational piece, but it's a guy that can put your team over the top. That's, you know, that's when you draft a guy like, like Zay Flowers, which the Falcons have done every year. Draft Bijan Robinson for some reason. Draft Kyle Pitts for some reason. Draft Drake London for some reason. When your team doesn't need those pieces yet. If I'm an idiot fan over here saying this, I don't know why these high-paid executives can't realize that either. So dumb, man. I'm sick of complaining about it, and you're sick of hearing about it. But really what it comes down to is the Falcons lost this game. Looked terrible the whole time, honestly. I mean, like I said, Heineke throws three interceptions, gets hurt again. Uh, Ritter comes in and also and promptly throws an interception, which was hilarious in the second half. Bijan did pretty well, fifteen carries and sent, uh, excuse me, fifteen carries for seventy five yards against one of the top rushing defenses in the league, top five rushing defense. So that's not bad. Didn't use Algier enough. Drake London got his targets, ten targets, four catches, fifty six yards. But it was just a ho hum effort, man. It just felt like this team couldn't do anything to really stop Chicago, as evidenced by their thirty seven points. In particular, they, they really couldn't contain Justin Fields, 45 yards, 11 carries, and a touchdown. 
There's one play in particular when the game was still in striking distance, but it's something we've seen week in and week out with scrambling quarterbacks. It's like the Falcons have, you know, it's, it's like third and long or fourth and long or something, and then we get pressure on the quarterback and we can't bring down the scrambling quarterback. He just evades us. But this was the most egregious example. Forget uh, Josh Dobbs, forget Kyler Murray, forget all those guys. This was like the Falcons didn't get clo- you know, it wasn't like a situation when that happens where like they got close to the quarterback and just missed a tackle. We literally had two guys on Justin Fields and couldn't bring him down on the same play. And then, so it should have been like a 15, 20 yard loss turned into like a 10 or 15 yard gain. And it's just, it's just that season in a nutshell. You get so close and then you just find a way to fuck it up. Another thing that was classic true to Atlanta was uh, D Alford returned a field goal attempt uh, at the end of the half. And, um, you know, it was like really windy and snowy. Also, that's something I didn't mention. I'm sure as you all know, like the, the conditions in Chicago were awful. It was very windy, snowy. And um, so field goals, you know, were hard to get that day. Koo missed uh, two more, unfortunately. But um, Chicago attempts a field goal at the end of the half. The Falcons try to uh, return it. They put um, Alfred back there near the near the goalpost. He catches it. He brings it out. Does a great job. Gets to about the Chicago like twenty or something. Gets tripped up by his own guy. And it's just like self sabotage, man. Self sabotage, and that's a tough play. Um, you know, everybody's trying to do everything they can to get him into the end zone. And it wasn't like intentional or anything, but you get tripped by your own guy. It's like, Jesus, it's like nothing can really break our way. And, um, yeah, there you go. I mean, it's just a, just an abysmal performance. You lose by 20 and the team, I would say for the first time this year, looked really lifeless on both sides of the ball. It just didn't feel like they were playing with that same intensity that they normally do. Like even the Carolina game when we lost, you could tell it was still like max effort. Max effort for sure. Um, this Bears game to me, and there's no way to really quantify this statistically, but this Bears game to me felt like the team, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, was just just kind of lazy and getting beat. Uh, DJ Moore goes off big time on us, nine receptions for 159. He started the game off like a 35-yard reception. Um, he just owned us. Um, you know, Roshan Johnson was really effective for them out of the backfield as a as a receiver. Three catches for 38 yards, and they ran all over us. Like you know, uh, like I mentioned, Fields did. Khalil Herbert rushed for 18 carries, 124 yards. You didn't you didn't see a lot of a lot of times this year. The Falcons gave up you know 100 yards on the ground, you know, to just a lead back. I mean, obviously we're going to give up probably 100 yards total rushing, but just to a lead back, and not even on 20 carries, 18 for 124. I mean, that's nuts. And then you didn't really see like a lot of number one receivers just dominate us this year. I mean, it happened like Chris Olave hurt us in the first Saints game. I'm trying to think of other times when that happened, but I really can't. And DJ Moore just killed us. And it was like everything that the Falcons had done well this year on defense. And the, and the defense has easily been the best unit on this team. The offense has sucked all year. We, we know this. Everything that the defense have been doing, you know, being really good in coverage, keeping the ball in front of them, forcing turnovers, containing the running game. It just wasn't happening on Sunday. And the Bears looked like, you know, a well-oiled machine. And we looked like a uh, abandoned car on the side of the road that had been there for like three months with its engine stripped out, uh, wheels taken off. You know, it just been like uh, harvested for scrap. And yeah, that's, 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 <laughs> that's the Atlanta Falcons, man. That's the Atlanta Falcons. Oh, mercy. So, you know, 
uh, watching the uh, college football playoffs, a lot of people were talking about Michael Penix Jr., who's a really good quarterback out of the University of Washington. He showed it in the uh, semifinal game, the Sugar Bowl, against Texas. Throws for like 430 yards, two touchdowns, and the accuracy was awesome. Uh, I've watched a couple of Washington games this year. Been impressed by this guy, and he's an older older guy. Let's see how old he is, but I think he's like 24 already or 25. Uh, okay, he's 23, and he's had a lot of uh, knee issues and health issues over the years, but he's he's going into the draft this year. A lot of people are thinking that maybe the Falcons can move up to get him, or maybe he might fall to the Falcons, depending on where they are. You know, this is similar. This is oddly prescient. Um, Adam and I had the same discussion when Justin Fields was coming out, and he was Ohio State versus Clemson, I think, in a national semifinal. And Justin Fields played his ass off, and I was like, you know, this guy – Maybe the Falcons should take a chance on him. You know, he looks it looks pretty good. Obviously, we didn't do that and drafted Kyle Pitts, but Justin Fields really, you know, took it to us on uh, on Sunday. But coming back to the point I'm trying to make is that this could be a guy that could help the Falcons. Penix, I know he's got, like I said, he's had multiple knee surgeries. The health is 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 a bit of a question mark in terms of his long term durability. How is he going to acclimate to the NFL game and can his body hold up? But you got to at least consider this guy. You got to at least consider this guy and not just based off his um, his performance in the Sugar Bowl game and leading his team to an undefeated season and all that. But, you know, he's thrown for four thousand six hundred yards, thirty five touchdowns, nine interceptions. I mean, that, that's a that's a damn good season. I don't care who you are. And um, some of the Falcons should definitely take a look at. I'm sure we'll draft another running back in the first round. Um, this year, our receiver, because you know that that's how Fontenot likes to build his teams, and you know, that's why we uh, you know finish seven and ten every year. You, you got to at least spin the wheels, scout this guy, see what he's about, see if he's a good fit. And um, I think if you haven't watched this kid play, watch the national championship next week. He's uh, quite impressive. He has seventy six percent completion rating in that game against Texas, and we'll see how well he plays against Michigan. Michigan is a much better defense than Texas does, but I've been impressed enough by this kid. And I'm not saying like, yeah, go get him 100%. But we know we need a quarterback next year. I'm not team veteran signing, really. Um, I'd like to go get a uh, a rookie quarterback that you feel good about, that you can draft in the first round and say, this is a guy we believe in that can be the face of the franchise, the future of the franchise, and not a third-round project like Desmond Ritter. I don't know, it, was, it was just funny. It was funny watching the game. Adam and I watched the game together. And just how un- unplugged in we were. I- at one point, Heineke rushed for a touchdown. I tried to get riled up about it. It was false. It was artificial. It was bullshit. You know, it's, it's just, it's really hard to get into this team. And it's really hard to believe in the direction of this team, given the current brain trust. I'm going to stop talking about the Falcons. Uh, I think we've all had enough of that for one year. I th- I'll-, I'll leave you with this. Um, Taylor Heineke, when asked about the game, and uh, someone asked him about, you know, do you blame your ankle injury uh, near the end of the game for your performance? Was like your ankle barking beforehand, blah, blah, blah. And he didn't, he didn't blame his ankle or anything else. He just said, they be- just beat our ass. And that's an actual quote. So I will leave you with that. Let's talk about a real team in Atlanta, the Atlanta Braves, who have brought in Chris Sale from the Boston Red Sox. Uh, at one point, he was one of the best pitchers in baseball. Won a World Series with the Red Sox in 2018. Was a huge part of that pitching staff and that World Series championship team. Who's had a lot of injury problems. A lot of problems finishing seasons healthy. Be it uh, Tommy John surgery he had. 
Um, you know, that caused him to miss the entire 2020 season. Um, he had a rib injury in 2022 that kept him out for most of the year. Broke his pinky in the second game or second start from a comebacker. Uh, he's had a lot of, you know, last five years has not been good for him health wise, but this is the first year in a long time that he finished the season healthy, pitched well down the stretch, uh, had a 4 3 0 ERA, 125 strikeouts, and 102 innings. So that tells you that, you know, he's still striking out guys at a good rate. And this is the first season he's had since 2019 where he has, you know, he's fully healthy and he can have a normal, um, you know, a normal offseason. We saw how big that was for Charlie Morton last year where he wasn't coming off injury and he actually went out there and pitched a hell of a lot better uh, last year than he did in 2022 because he wasn't rehabbing all offseason. So hopefully the same thing can happen for sale. The injury thing's a big question mark. Only 31 starts made in the past four seasons. It's not great. They're just hoping that he can give you 20-ish starts or so, which is what he did this year. And stay healthy enough to, to contribute. And, you know, he's still got filthy stuff, still has a good fastball. It's not hitting 100 as consistently or 99 as, as much as he used to. Still in the mid-90s. His slider's still filthy. Still a good pitcher when he's right. Um, doesn't have the endurance. He's not going eight or nine innings, pitching a lot of, you know, five, six inning games. But when you got this good of an offense... That should be good enough. And he's also a postseason bulldog, knows how to win the playoffs, an honest guy, you know, very candid fella, um, particularly in postseason uh, pressers. So he brings some fire to this rotation as well. And Alex Anthopoulos was making the radio rounds today to talk about the move. And he just said, you know, high character guy, healthy, you know, going into this offseason is going to be big for him. So I kind of like it. I don't love it. Um, and, uh, oh, yeah, I forgot to mention, uh, there's, there's a trade for Von Grissom. Straight up. So Von Grissom's gone, and the uh, Red Sox are absorbing $17 million of sales, uh, $27 million owed uh, on this contract. But the Braves, are, he's deferring that payment down the line, sort of a mini Shohei Otani situation where he's deferring that payment down the line, and he'll um, be paid $10 million at a later date, I think in like 2032 or something. So whatever. It's not a big deal. So he's only making $500,000 this year for the Braves. So savvy move by Anthopolis in terms of the uh, budgetary considerations, right? And maybe, and hopefully a savvy move in terms of really bolstering this rotation and giving us some depth. So that's what I like about it. Obviously, veteran guy, knows how to win at the big leagues, has done it at the highest level, uh, and still can pitch well. That's the biggest thing. It's not a Drew Smiley situation to me or, you know, bringing in someone who's a journeyman who doesn't, you know, a Yanni Chirinos, you know, a guy we brought in last year who's just going to eat up three or four innings but give up seven or eight runs each time. And this is a guy that can still pitch very well. Now, the problem I have with this move, and, I, and I'm fine with moving on from Grissom. I think Grissom was blocked by Kalenic. Um, He was never going to get the time to really develop. And he's just not a piece that puts you over the top, right? A piece that could potentially put you over the top is Chris Sale. See, like, this is what Terry Fontenot needs to look at. You go out and get guys like this. To put you over the top. Hopefully that's exactly what he's going to do. But here's what I don't like, right, is, is what I was talking about, the injury history. Only 31 starts in the last, like, four years. It's not just because of him, but it's because of the rotation he's joining. You think about Max Fried, a lot of injury issues over the last two years. Charlie Morton, same story. Had, um, you know, got injured down the stretch. Um, Bryce Elder, you know, faded like crazy in the second half of the year. We all know this. Spencer Strider was the only one who held up the whole year. And so now you're, you're adding an injury-prone guy to a rotation 
uh, where there's been a lot of injuries over the last few years. So I would have preferred to find somebody that didn't have as checkered of an injury history, but I can't deny the upside and I can't deny, um, you know, the savviness of, of making the budget really work for the Braves and only paying them $500,000 is a very low risk, high reward kind of trade. I just feel like his presence compounded with the other starters in our rotation could, you know, once again, call into question our, our depth, right? And having to get too many people coming up from Gwinnett to pitch every four or five days. And we all know that that's potentially going to happen because, you know, no rotation stays healthy for a whole year. If some, some, somebody's going to go down for an extended period, um, and it makes you wonder who's going to step up. Is it going to be Huasker Yanoa who's coming back this year? Um, you know, Reynaldo Lopez, the guy we traded for from the White Sox. Is it the, are they going to try and make him a starter again? Don't know. Um, but what we do know is Chris Sale is in Atlanta. And the rotation now, you know, Morton, Strider, Freed, Elder, Sale, in some order. Um, which is which is good, which is very good. It's, a, you know, it's an above average rotation for sure. And if all those guys are pitching the best of their ability, it's an elite rotation. You know, you just wonder how Elder's going to do coming in this year and you wonder about sales health and you wonder, you know, if Charlie Morton's going to fall off a cliff at age 40. I don't know. But the good news is that the Braves did, did address the rotation with a known quantity that when he's right, he's still very effective. So as you know, with AA, as we always say, expect the unexpected. That's what he did here, bringing Chris sale to the Braves. And uh, that's about it in terms of Atlanta sports. The Hawks still don't deserve uh, the time of day. I think they're like eight games under 500. Very disappointing. Jalen Johnson has come back and looked pretty good. The Hawks did beat the Wizards the other night. Um, however, DeAndre Hunter goes down. Now I'm talking about the Hawks. <laughs> uh, you know, they're out of the playoff or the play-in tournament right now, and it's like this is, you know, again goes back to team building, right? Just like the problems that the the Falcons have. The Hawks traded away three first-round picks for DeJounte Murray when they needed to get more players, um, in who are defensive minded and not to say DeJounte can't play defense, but he's not the best on ball defender. Like we really need to bolster this defense and you really hamstring yourself when you go all in on a guy and give up three first round picks in terms of actually adding more depth to the team. This doesn't help, especially when the defense has been so bad pretty much for Trey Young's entire tenure here outside of some flashes from uh, a guy or two, like or when DeAndre Hunter still remembered how to play basketball. You know, he was a good defender during that Eastern Conference finals run when he was healthy. But the Hawks are what they are. I think major changes have to happen. I mean, you know, we've been saying this for a couple of years, um, especially after last year, but major changes have to happen if, uh, you know, this this brain trust wants to actually put a contender on the floor. And I think they're, they're finding that, that out the hard way. With even bringing in Quinn Snyder, it's like the defense isn't really getting that much better. If anything, I'm not saying it's getting worse, but it's still just you know the same personnel in a new system. Um, it's not like the the system's going to be so good that's going to put them over the top defensively. Um, so hopefully they make some some major changes. I, I would be I'm, I'm fascinated to see what the Hawks do at the trade deadline. Will they try and uh, move DeJounte Murray potentially to like the Lakers or somebody who might want him? I heard that was something um, I think Adrian Wojnarowski was talking about, the Lakers potentially being interested in acquiring DeJounte Murray. And it kind of makes sense to 
for us in some in some respects because DeJounte signed that, you know, quote unquote big extension. It was like four years, 144 million or something uh, in the offseason. And while that sounds like a lot in the NBA, that's really not that big of a deal. It's not like a max big deal like uh, the one that Trey Young got uh, a couple years ago. It was like 260 million or whatever the hell it was. So DeJounte is movable. The question is, what do you get for DeJounte? And the thing that sort of sucks about that is that the Hawks will try to, I assume, get picks back for him. The picks that they gave up to get him, they'll try to get them back. And maybe they can squeeze Austin Reeves or someone like that out of uh, Los Angeles as well. It's probably too rich for acquiring DeJounte Murray. But this is the problem. You're going to have to start cutting losses and rebuilding. And then you got to ask yourself, is Trey Young interested and hanging around while that happens? Trey Young's having arguably his best season this year. 28 points per game, seventh best in the league, 11 assists per game, second best in the entire league. And he had a stretch, you know, like a seven-game stretch where he was averaging 30, at least 30 points and 10 assists per game in, uh, near the end of December. The guy's playing much better basketball than he played last year. I mean, even if you look at it, the scoring's up, the assists are up. Three-point percentage is five percentage points better. Um, you know, by all intents and purposes, he's having just a much better season than he did last year. And he already was having, you know, he's already had a great career offensively. We all know this, but the focus is there. The playmaking is there. The shot selection is much better. There's not as many logo threes. Um, I really like what I'm seeing from Trey this year. It's a damn shame we're, we're wasting his prime with a team that is just so, you know, it, it was like when Schlenk first assembled a lot of, you know, th- this team. Even before DeJounte got here, it was just offensive onslaught. The Hawks are a great offensive team. They score like 125, 130 points a game. It's just the defense sucks. And unfortunately, in order to build a contender at this point, you've got to retool. And does Trey want to be a part of that? Does he want to maybe undergo a process where it's just him and Jalen Johnson and Okongwu are the only guys that you know, you're really building around? I don't know. We'll have to find out. But... He's going to start getting antsy pretty soon, I think. And that's the last thing we can afford to have happen is let this Trey Young era die an undignified death with just an Eastern Conference Finals appearance to show for it. Let's hope that's not the case. But we'll see what happens when the trade deadline comes up in February. I think that's it for the solo show. I want to thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week. Back in full force. Until then, rise up, chop on, unite and conquer, and remain true to Atlanta. Hospitality.